Purest Blood, the official True Blood podcast. I'm Kristen Bauer. And I'm Deborah Ann Wool. And you've been invited in. I want to do bad things with you. Welcome back to Truest Blood, where we sink our fangs into the series episode by episode. This week, we return to Bon Tom with episode 210, A New World in My View, written by Kate Barnow and Elizabeth Finch, directed by Adam Davidson. And Bon Tomp is a new world indeed. Mm -hmm. The mob has taken over and groupthink is all the rage. So we will highlight all the incredible work being done by our standout ensemble. Amazing. Then we will have the unforgettable Jim Perrick on the show. His performance mm. as Hoyt Fortenberry draws us in every week. He has amazed us with his performances in features like Fury and Suicide Squad on Broadway in Of Mice and Men and on television in The Deuce and currently in 911 Lone Star. And today he and Deb spill all the secrets behind Hoyt and Jessica's whirlwind romance. It was a rewarding time for me this week on True Blood. Sookie awakens from another erotic dream about Eric to find Bon Tom has become a wasteland. As she, Bill, and Jason return to the Compton house, Hoyt and Jessica inform them that everyone has gone batty. Their eyes blacked out and partying at Marianne's, which is now what they call Sookie's house. Even Hoyt's mama is caught up in the frenzy. Jason Stackhouse. Huh? You dirty little monkey. <laughs> Lafayette and Letty May keep a mesmerized Tara tied up in his living room, and neither reason nor prayer seem to do any good. Marianne has too strong a hold over her, as well as the rest of the town, as they wait for her god to appear. <laughs> he's coming. He's on his way. And he's gonna kill us all. <laughs> Sookie and Bill head to the Stackhouse place to find it a den of filth and vice. Marianne reveals herself and Bill attacks, but her blood sends him into convulsions. However, when she approaches Sookie, a strange light erupts from Sookie's hand, throwing Marianne aside. <laughs> that was fun! <sighs> what are you? Bill and Sookie rush back to Lafayette's, hoping to help Tara. It takes both of their powers working together to finally break through. Sookie gets a vision of what Marianne has been up to, and somehow... It all reminds Bill of an ancient myth. He leaves town to seek answers from none other than his queen. While back at home, his unsupervised progeny loses her cool and bites Maxine Fortenberry to stop her hateful talk. Meanwhile, the mob has lured Andy and Sam back to Merlot's and trapped them in the freezer. Luckily, Jason is ready. This here is the war I've been training for. Armed with supplies from the road crew, Jason grabs a chainsaw and mounts a rescue. However, Marianne's minions swarm, and sensing all is lost, Sam gives himself up to save the others. But Jason and Andy, on a wing and a prayer, manage to convince the mob that their god has come, and they are appeased, which disperses the crowd for now. 
Bill arrives at the massive royal estate to find a very pretty and also very bloody female foot draped across a chaise. Better shake a leg, Bill Compton. Bon Tom needs you. So I'm, I'm going to kick off the highlights uh, this mm-hmm. week. I have titled this highlight simply Routina, 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 because. Yep. How do you okay. not? How do you not? I mean, I just. I know. The commitment that she has and the bravery yeah. that she has. Yeah. I don't know. She just floors me every week. And the skill, because she yes. does about 80 turns in the scene. Yes. And she's enchanted, right? So like. Yeah. What is she playing other than like they've told her your eyes are gone and you're under the spell? Like all the rest right. of that's just her. It's just her. She's literally tied to a chair. Yeah. Yeah. Which <laughs> right. Again, and everyone else is yeah. just staring at her. Which we've talked about that like sometimes when your movement is restricted, it gets really hard to act. So yeah, I mean, she just it's incredible. And and it, it's it is well written too. You know, we've seen this razor sharp kind of mean streak that Tara has. Yeah. And she uses it on like deserving people. Right. But what's amazing about this is we've never seen her turn it on Sookie. You know, someone that's that dear to her. Right. Um, And probably not even that harshly, even on Lafayette and uh, Letty May. So it's it's sort of shocking to see. Mm -hmm. As you were talking, I was trying to think if there was any note or emotion that she didn't hit. Right. Mm. In in the scene. In the end, then, has to come yes. back to herself yes. and remember how awful Ugh. she was and then be vulnerable and apologetic and, and big alligator tears. Ugh. Right. And go from acting sincere to headbutting her mother to laughing. Yeah. I mean, it's really yeah. incredible. I was it's saying, a, there's, there's glee, right, even. We there's go glee. From, like, giddy glee, yeah. anger, yeah. mean to terrified, vulnerable, mm-hmm. you know, just all across the board. And I think there's something about it because Marianne's whole thing is about primal urges. Mm. It simplifies things, right? None of right. these are not complicated feelings. These are the right. most precise versions right. of each of these spaces. And I think, yeah. you know, Rutina is the kind of actor who can act with precision like that. Yeah. I mean, I I always say for me, the actors that draw me and the actors that I love are the ones where when I look in their eyes, I can see their thoughts. Right. I can I can sense what they're thinking. And even if it's not accurate to what they were thinking, mm-hmm. I can see that they are having thoughts and my mm-hmm. brain interprets that. Mm-hmm. And I see that with her mm-hmm. every second. I can just see her mind working, you know, her her character's mind thinking. Mm-hmm. It's just genius. Absolutely brilliant. Ryan said in the commentary, said, and here's Rutina who takes commitment to a whole new level. Yeah, 100% and, true. Right. And Nelson had said in a past commentary mm-hmm. that her script was covered in more notes than he's yeah. ever seen. And, you know, One, I've always thought like there's a difference it. between your brain going, I'm acting, I'm acting, I'm acting, act mm-hmm. harder, act harder, and mm-hmm. having actual thoughts, right? Exactly. So when I look at Routina working, I see that she's having actual thoughts. She's mm-hmm. not thinking about acting. She's right. thinking about maybe feeding her cat, <laughs> but right. probably the thoughts that she thinks Tara would be having in that moment. And yes, the thoughts that. that are synonymous with yeah. that moment that'll help her. I think it's that thing of 
trying to be interesting or being yeah, interested. Interested. I mean, that f- saying is so true for for exactly it's that reason. It's so yeah. true, and it's really hard when there's a camera in your face and yes. fifty people staring at you, and you know, five to ten million going to watch it later. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure to stay interested. Yes. In the character and what you're doing and the craft and the people yeah. in the room with you, the other actors. And yeah, Rutina is one of those. I don't want to say ego less. I hope she has tremendous pride in her work, but yeah. the ego does not seem to get in the way of right. her performance. Yeah. You know, ugh, I can't wait till we talk. with She's her. a performer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she really is. Yeah. She's not in it for other reasons. Yeah. And I think, you know, this scene also really works because we have, of course, incredible actors opposite her. We have right. Nelson as Lafayette. We have Adina as Letty May. And the storytelling with them is really wonderful. And, and you know, Nelson Lafayette has some great lines in here we'll call out. But they sort of start on opposite sides. You know, Letty May says, oh, we should get the the exorcist back. So he's, here's here's this line. <laughs> If only Mr. Annette was still alive. She don't need no damn backwards witch. She need Thorazine and a padded shell. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The I'm laugh. I'm watching. It's so fun watching your face. Listen to I'm that laugh. bright red. It's so good. It's so oh. good. Yeah, you are. You are bright red. It's creepy. And, yeah. and but full of venom. Oh, I just, oh. Someday, it's so good. I want to grow up to be Rutina Wesley. <laughs> and then Nelson is uh, just, I mean, the, oh, ridiculous. 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 That line and the way he delivers it. Yes. And the writing and the acting and all together. All together. And, and and so then I think what the writers have done that's really great is they stop, they start at these opposite ends, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, Letty Mae is trying to use, you know, uh, magic essentially to fix her Mm -hmm. and you know lafayette saying no no no, we need a doctor but they end up coming together towards the end and they kneel Mm -hmm. and they pray and it's a lovely surprise Mm -hmm. that lafayette knows the prayer and joins her in that jesus and i agreed to see other people now that don't mean we don't still talk from time to time oh yeah so brilliant on this show you just i mean you could have the most brilliant actors if you don't have dialogue to play with. It's like playing <laughs> tennis without the ball, you know? I mean, at least when it comes together, it's pretty spectacular. It's very um, spectacular. Yeah. So, you know, it ends on this love and then they bring Tara back. And of course, her first thought is eggs. She has to go save the people that she cares about. And another reason why mm-hmm. I love this character, she's beautifully flawed and, you know, loves deeply and pushes for the people that she cares about. It's just, that's my highlight. <laughs> I know there's so many characters where, you know, when you watch something really good and you've seen it before yeah, and you're still hoping it goes differently for them. No. You're like, oh, oh, you, it's just, it's that a is, weird yes. inner desire where you're like, please let Routine I have. Let that Tara is exactly have, how right? I feel about Tara. Yes. I because- know. You just want her to experience love and peace so yes, badly. So 
I just bad. know it's not going to happen. But I it happens so often on this show, <laughs> right? Yes, we're just being just, manipulated constantly. Ugh. Ugh. Routine is too good at it. Yeah. Um, but then, yes, I I also agree. Your highlight is is a mm-hmm. particularly strong one this week as well. You know, it's it's really because last night you and I were texting. You're like, "What's your highlight?" And I was like, "Well, Deb's going to take the Rutina," <laughs> and um, and I'm looking at. I'm like, okay, I I I texted you and I said, "Oh my god!" I mean, the whole everyone. Todd Lowe, everyone, yeah. Dale, and. Yeah. This, which you have so aptly called the B team, right? So if people know that that old TV series, the A team, and this is the B this team. This is the B team. <laughs> Sam and Andy and then Jason. And then you said, well, take that one because I'm already go. We're, I put it in yeah. the outline to talk about all the others because it yeah. really is. I guess it's always, always true. But when there's these mob scenes, right, this mm-hmm. whole episode all of the players mm-hmm. make the world. And this whole through line of Sam and Andy in the hotel room, <laughs> the dialogue that they have there is so good. Andy just keeps saying, we are fucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, they're in the freezer and they're like, they're like, oh, yeah, well, we could kill him. Well, but there are friends and families. Nope, can't kill him. Guess we're fucked. <laughs> yeah, again, like, we're fucked. And then he, he goes, aren't you glad I didn't quit drinking? Yes. You know, take your advice and stop drinking. Just, well, because they're in the freezer and they're dying. Because they're in the freezer. Right? And he's like, this will keep us alive. They're so incredible. And I, I do yeah. love, they're all such funny guys. All three yeah. of those guys are are yeah. just, just funny, have good senses of humor and enjoy yeah. that. And they like and to laugh, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, the stories that they were telling, and I can only imagine that it was like, all they could do to just keep from laughing and ruining takes and holding up scenes yes. for the entire episode because it's so funny. The whole time Sam says, I'm just trying to not laugh. It's almost yeah. impossible because Andy is so brilliant. Well, and Chris Bauer too. So we're going to play mm-hmm. the Annie the Nanny uh, segment for you here. <laughs> but when you watch this episode, when you see Chris Bauer say Annie the Nanny and he steps up out of shot, that was designed because he couldn't say Annie the Nanny without laughing, and they needed a cut point. So here we go. Annie the Nanny brought to you by Chris Bauer. I'm real sorry. Thanks. When I was growing up, I had a nanny. Her name was Annie. <laughs> Annie the Nanny. She used to say to me that uh, in the country of the blind... The one-eyed man was Kang. I think she told me that because she thought I was one of the blind. You, you got the burden of being a one-eyed man. I envy that. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't either. Like just believing in and mm. caring about because like Andy's so committed. Chris is yes. so committed, right? Yes. He's, right. That that fabulous, brilliant dialogue is written with Chris Bauer in mind, knowing yes. that he's gonna hit that out of the park. Absolutely. 
And, and I think also to to keep in mind, like that's a long clip, right? Yeah. I guarantee you on another show, on a network show, whatever it is, mm. they would have been like, hey, faster, quippier, pick up mm-hmm. the pace kind of thing. But yeah. it sells yeah. and it and it gives Andy Belfler such depth that this yeah. isn't just a joke, right? This is a real right. he had a nanny named Annie and she said this to him <laughs> and kind of made him feel like he wasn't worthy, you know, like it can right. be a joke and something more. And I just appreciate that's sometimes it. The, the space that this show gave actors. I um, appreciate that so yeah. much. But another quick little tidbit is so, you know, obviously it's not they're not actually in a freezing cold freezer. So right. this is the one time on True Blood, which instead of taking away vampire breath, they have added CGI breath in the freezer so that you can see that it is cold. Yeah, and they talked a lot about how Sam had was playing that cold. Like yes. usually we were cold, right? Especially yes, this Sam. time he had to fake it. This time he had to fake it. And I love how when Jason shows up, there's so much because yeah. I mean, Ryan is such a comic genius. You know, all the way from him telling Suki and Bill that he's got this. He, his whole yes. life was leading up yes. to this moment. So he goes and he he gets in Rambo, there. Rambo Jason. Yeah. Rambo Jason. And he talked about the costume, how yeah. much work went into the t-shirt that it was a little too see-through. They removed the sleeves, then they doubled it up. And then, mm-hmm. you know, so much thought on every level. So then we move into the ruse, uh, oh. which is so, oh. so spectacular. And I yeah, I do love that they, they go back and forth between the sort of frenzy eye view mm. and then reality because yeah. it looks so stupid in reality in, in, yeah. in an intentional way. But it works because they're all in this weird mystical high state. Yes. And when we when we see it through that frenzied town people lens, you're like, oh, I actually kind of buy this, you know, totally working. Yeah, that juxtaposition was really, really fun. Yeah. And then so we have just a fantastic Jason slash Ryan moment here. I have come, and now I am here. Okay, Okay. first of all, the God who comes, I'm sorry, just works with Jason Stackhouse somehow. And also, he literally goes, like like Bowser or something like that. And it just, every time, I just die. I love Sam's like, smite me. And he's like, what? What do you mean, smite you? Smite me, god damn it. Uh, okay, I smite you. Oh, so funny. So then that moment we'll share. So the pants drop. So literally they have the pants and the shirt suspended with little clear piano strings, you know, clear fishing mm-hmm. wire. For after Sam shifts. For after Sam shifts. And they just drop it in that moment. So you can get most of it practically, which is very cool. Yeah. But of course, the boys told us a story that they also made the pants dance a little bit because they are sort of <laughs> marionette pants at that point. I love how at the end, Andy says, I'm never having another drink. Again. Yeah. And that was my last drink. Something like that. You know, they're, right. They're looking at bare butt Sam who just disappeared, you know, put out fires, which is my favorite part. I like that Sam, even in like 
mortal peril is still responsible enough to like get a fire extinguisher and put out the fire. I love that. And I love the apron that they picked where his butt's hanging out. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's really cute. I love the whole sequence. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a real highlight of the season, I think, of the B team. Yeah. But for this episode specifically, we would be remiss if we did not mention Suki Lighthands. I know. Firefingers. New development. Firefingers. That's right. We called it Firefingers. I did forgot. we? I think we did. Okay. That sounds really familiar. I'm sure you said that because you remembered it somewhere. I know. It's somewhere in there. Yeah. That's a moment. Mm-hmm. And I love Anna plays it so well. She's yeah. like, what What did I just Whoa. do? She really plays that total shock, ju- just the way Suki would feel it. And of course, it's fun that Marianne likes it because it, it makes her seem so powerful and just undefeatable. She's You keep hitting her with things and she's like, more. You know? She's so entertained the whole time when she gets yeah. bitten by Stephen mm-hmm. and, and then the fire fingers and also her glee. She's like, what are you? Are you? Such a great line. Yeah. Yeah. She's not just a waitress, possibly. No. Well, we, which we've known. And, and I think this is the moment that's potentially going to get Suki more interested because she's yeah. always just thought she was telepathic. Yeah. Um, but now there may be something more. There may be something more. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, that is a, how Anna played it is so beautiful because also we forget. That that was special effects was put in later. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. for Anna, she just put her hand on someone's face and then had to sell it. Yes, and had, which she did, and so she sold you know, it. again. So impressive. Everyone um, is so impressive. And then you know, last just honorable mention here is the Bill Wikipedia brain flashback is sort of mm. my favorite. That he Googles his brain for Maynard and comes up with a book he read in 1930s. It's just, I mean, it's such a beautiful yes. touch. And I like it sort of, if you remember Stephen talking about how he went to Alan and said, you know, Alan asked, what would you like more of? And Bill, and he says, if I was living forever, I'd want to learn about everything. And so this is, I think, sort of one of those moments where maybe Alan is leaning into that and saying, oh, well, he might know about ancient myths in this way. So it's a nice... Uh, a nice little nod, and then we go to the queen. Mm-hmm. But more of that next week. Mm-hmm. Now for a quick bite. Introducing Dimitri. On a show like True Blood, things can get loopy pretty fast. You think, cool, I booked a show about vampires. And before you know it, you're naked in below freezing temperatures, praying to a statue made of meat and hoping the mountain lions don't catch a whiff and come investigating. Experiences like this have a way of bonding folks. When you're trying to stay awake and warm, you share stories, compare battle wounds, and make up jokes and games to pass the time. I can remember more than one occasion where I am proudly comparing bruises and blisters from filming a particularly intense physical scene. And in those wee hours of the morning when your mind is foggy, It's hard not to get a little silly, staring at that stinky statue made of meat, tall as a tree, a meat tree, the only meat tree, the meat tree. And so he was christened the meat tree. So Stanislavski, who is the father of modern acting, he's quoted as saying, there are no small parts, only small actors. You've probably heard it before. Mm -hmm. So with our deep dive this week, I'd really like to honor 
the like incredibly talented ensemble performers. Yeah. You know, I think in a show like this, they're the real reason that an episode like this can work. Yes. And, you know, like the conversation we had last week about background performance, it can sometimes feel pretty thankless to be a part of just the sort of supporting ensemble, even Mm -hmm. when you're a series regular. But luckily on this show, when they give you your chance to shine, it's usually something really big and really fun. That's exactly it. I mean, Terry, this episode. Yes. Yes. Holy moly. So Arlene and Terry, Carrie Preston and Todd Lowe, (laughs) they are the leaders of the zombie mob. (laughs) Arlene with the damsel in distress. You know, she does the phone call. And by the way, I wrote down in my notes again. When Sam and Andy are like... (laughs) I know what you're going to say. Yeah. Do they not watch the show? Come on. (laughs) Sam and Andy do not watch the show. So they race over there. And of course, her eyes are black and they all come out. But this whole sequence with Terry going into some sort of apocalypse now you know like when when he comes into that right so after jason yeah has saved them and yes and they're like okay let's get out of here we're out of the freezer and terry shows up with the mob behind him i yeah. love watching ryan's face watch terry oh. it's so brilliant and all the background players there. Oh, my Lord. Which apparently John Billingsley was shoving Ugh. so many peanuts in his <laughs> mouth that they had to ask him to do less so they could hear his line clearly. Uh, do you see he feeds the guy next to him a and peanut in that one shot? With the shells on, right? Genius. Well, because, you know, they're Bacchanalian. You know, like, what do yes. they care about shells? It adds to the experience, right? Right, right. So good. And then we have Patricia Bethune as oh, Jane Boathouse. Unbelievable. So we have Coroner Mike Spencer and, and Jane Boathouse, who are these, you know, just fixtures of Bon Ton. Yeah. And she is just the perfectly like giggly, excited by all of yes. it. Always Her lines game. just soar above the crowd when yeah. uh, and I think I'm, you know, none of that's in the script. That is just Patricia ad libbing to perfection. <laughs> yes. I mean Ryan pointed out like at one point when they're outside and Ryan is being the god. Yeah. <laughs> That she's like, oh, at one point, and yeah. she does this little leg kick thing. Like yes, her knee it's goes so in. perfect. It's all well, so perfect. Yeah. And so another moment to highlight then, this is Todd and Patricia just selling this moment to perfection. Squad, report to Marianne for debriefing. Anybody who wants to debrief me can do so right now. <laughs> Mob in and in inside Merlots, right? The commitment mm-hmm. of the background players, mm-hmm. like right in the foreground. That lady's got that guy's head yes. in her crotch. Woo! I mean, going for <laughs> it. And then they're licking off on that other yeah. lady who's lying mustard there, like, or something. Yeah, yes. One Ryan mentioned that he very specifically kept himself away from that scene until they were ready to go because he wanted the genuine reaction of seeing the debauchery (laughs) as he peeks over the uh the wall there so i also want to mention we have quite a few members of our stunt team that have Mm. featured roles in this so the couple at the very beginning of the show they are two of our stunt performers and i also want to say that's baton rouge 
So all of oh. the scenes with like Sookie and Jason coming into town and the town is all crazy. That oh. would have been shot weeks later when we all went to Louisiana after episode 12. So okay. this is all out of order. Bringing together. So again, very cool. Yeah. And then also, so the big guy that restrains Sam in there. So yeah. uh, when he and, and Andy first come to Merlots and then Jason nail guns, guns him to the bar later. Yes, yes. That guy, that is John Clay Scott. And he's the brother of Ben Scott, who is our stunt coordinator. So we had a lot of really great featured stunt performers this episode. Yeah. The last person I really want to highlight in this moment, because I think sometimes co-star gigs can be can be some of the hardest. Mm hmm. So there's a blonde woman who has quite a few close-ups during this sequence. Her name is Valerie Hubbard, the actor. She has a very long and impressive resume. It includes theater, film, and TV. But much of her career has been playing parts that are like gossipy woman number three, ticket clerk, 50-something alumna, Joe's mom. And in our case, her character's name is Random Frenzier. (laughs) And there's something to me... It is even more impressive that an actor can take on a role where the writer didn't even bother to give them a name, right? right. Like almost no thought has gone into who this person is. Mm-hmm. And with nothing more than a line or two or a featured close-up, they make it so specific and special. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In a way, she's kind of an expert in that. She's mm-hmm. she's taken this idea that there are no small parts really to heart. And, you know, I think we see her in those moments and we fully believe that she is a Bon Tomp Towns member that mm-hmm. has been enchanted by Marianne and is right. absolutely entranced in this moment. It's so impressive. And I, I want to make sure we really bring your attention, all of you, you listeners at home, to, to what she's doing. Yeah, it's really true because we are often looking at where the dialogue is. Mm-hmm. And everything around that has to be on point to sell it. Yeah. So another person we want to highlight before we end this, and I we save the best for last as far as I'm concerned, the incredible Dale Rowell. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> Mrs. Fortenberry. I mean. I mean, this is <laughs> clearly a case of the writers watching Dale's performance throughout the first yeah. season and the first half yeah. of the second and going, we have gold. Why are we not mining this? Right. Totally. Because these three episodes, the last one, this one, and the upcoming one, are just meaty, amazing work for her. Yeah. And we saw her in season one, like, being, you know, bitchy around Mm -hmm. grand dying or what have you. So Mm -hmm. they really, these writers were inspired Mm -hmm. by what they would see other actors doing. And it really felt like a collaboration, which we've mentioned a lot of times, a lot of our guests who come on have mentioned it was so special. And Mm. this whole sequence that she and you and Hoyt got to Mm -hmm. do, the dialogue is so fabulous. Her commitment is so fabulous. Oh yeah. And Sookie and Bill were there as well. But her, (laughs) the way Hoyt says, well, playing we doesn't calm her down, but at least distracts her or something. Yeah, it keeps her focused. But then, and then Dale sells it. I mean, she's just so into She's so we. into we. And there's nothing there. there you know, no. she's got something in her hand and is doing stuff, but there probably yeah. was nothing there. There's just a light that's flickering off camera to make it look like there's a screen, right? right. Like she's right. just making that out of her brain. I'll also say Ryan shared that 
he gave Dale permission to just full on try and kiss him. Yeah. And he said that she was so committed. She made contact quite a few times. So <laughs> it's so good. He and, he and Dale have shared many a, a kiss uh, from that scene. I mean, she's just spectacular. I mean, we'll highlight this incredible passage of hers uh, towards the end of the episode. Oh, you're dirty hairy now, huh? Because you're dipping your penguin dick in that vamper tramp. <laughs> you are cut from the same cloth as your daddy. You are both half men. Miss Spartanberry! Just calm down. A half man and a dead whore. Who else would have either of you? Jess, don't! I also wrote down your response because it is so good. It is so good. And you go, give me one reason to not drain you dry. Oh, she goes, I don't got to give you anything. It's so good. (laughs) I love her so much. I mean, that's such a great scene and sequence to get to be in and to film. The main thing I remember about that scene, because Adam Davidson, the director we have, this is the only Mm -hmm. episode that he did with us, but Mm -hmm. he's kind of a, a, like, make it up as you go kind of director. Okay. So, you know, a lot of directors will watch the rehearsal and while you're getting ready, kind of figure out kind of what they want to get and how they're going to get it. And they're Mm -hmm. flexible, but there's a kind of a plan. Adam was much more like, okay, let's get this. And then you get it. And then he goes, okay, okay, next. Oh, I want to try to do this. So Mm. it can be a little bit longer and you're, you're not always sure, like, is this the close up or when, when are we turning, you know? Anyways, it's an interesting way to work, but Dale was on her knees on that hard floor for so long and she's so tough that he just didn't know, you know, he didn't know that that was hard for her. And eventually she kind of let Jim and I in on it. And we had to be like, hey, Adam, we need to turn around. <laughs> you know, Like, right. I know she's but he was so excited by what she was giving him. Right. He couldn't stop filming her. Right. right? It's it's you know, it's her own damn fault that she's so captivating. Yeah. That he couldn't stop filming her performance. And we kind of had to say, if you've got it, you got to let her stand up or oh. sit in a chair or whatever oh. it is. You know, it's just, again, it's a testament to these kind of old school character actors who have have done it all and are just willing to give it all. They're just in. They never say die. They never quit. They're just yeah. in and ready. Yeah. 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 Amazing. So totally amazing. She's incredible. So today we are speaking with one of my favorite human beings, Jim Perrick, uh, he and I got to create the story of Hoyt and Jess together. And then yeah. he has some incredible just acting work stories that he has done on his own on the series. And I'm constantly blown away by his commitment and detail oriented work the magic. and introspection. And this is I mean, this is a magical interview. This is a I, magical interview. I was so looking forward to it and was a little nervous about it. And then it just, it slid right back into the sort of old comfortability that we had. So beautiful. As Jim says, it was enchanted (laughs) and it was again today. Jim Perrick is here. Yay! Hello, hello. Jim is in the house. The so one and only Hoyt Fortenberry is with us. The Yay. one and only Hoyt Fortenberry. Yeah. Well, we're so happy to have you. We have so much excitement to talk about because 
We've been going through season two mm-hmm. and yeah. I, I'm having a hard time doing how we normally do it. So, so I know because we're so <laughs> because we've been watching you and Jess fall in love mm. and it's like unbelievably magical. Well, it's interesting, too. We haven't interviewed anyone yet that you and I, Kristen, worked really closely yes. with yet. So this uh-huh. is the first time where I'm a little like, I feel like I'm too too inside close. of it I know. <laughs> to ask the questions. So I may lean on you, Kristen. So first we do with everybody. Yeah. How'd you get the role? How did that happen? Okay. So I think, I think I'm sure everybody feels this way about their little stories, but I'm, I'm amused by the story of how I got this part, <laughs> which was my agent at the time was actually my agent again, the great Michael Green. Oh, wow. Was okay. so good at getting guys that were trying to cut their teeth, like, to beat the door down of every off. So it was, it was uh, that phase where it's like three, four, sometimes auditions a day. Mm, and, and it's for guest spot here, guest spot here, guest spot yes. here. Right, right, right. And yep. there was this television show. I don't remember what. It may have been CBS or something. It's made up to be this gritty New Orleans cop show. And <laughs> okay. I thought like, oh, man, it's such it's just such a good part. The scenes are so good. The interrogation scenes are so good. And so I put all this work the night before into this cop show thing. Yes. And was like, if I have time, because they were kind of conflicting. Mind you, this was for a guest oh. spot on a TV show. Right. Okay. And I was like, you know, that was the one I was excited about. That was the one we confirmed first. And then I didn't even look at the rest of the stack for that day. For me, it was a gray envelope that would have the size. <laughs> yes. You had to like, physically get it yes. from, from uh, my manager. And so yes. finished the cbs guest spot audition and like pulled out my little gray envelope and it said hbo and i was like hbo like usually you know you set aside a little special attention for hbo totally act right all right right i was like how did i just overlook this i was so enraptured (laughs) by the guest spot that i overlooked it and read vampires in the south and kind of just went like okay like i i don't Mm. i what else is there and they're like some other cop shows or something something oh my gosh so I rolled up to the lot, familiarizing myself as well as I could with with what the show was as yeah. I was walking in and then walked in and saw yeah. my friend. And I said, what's going on? She's like, Are you nervous, man? Are you nervous <sighs> to meet Alan Ball, man? And I said, what? Meet Alan Ball. Oh, no. And I shrank. I just went like, oh, my God. Oh, like, no. no, no, I would have I would have I would have come correct if I had known that. And so oh, no. I flipped. <laughs> How much is there to memorize? And there were like two lines. It was like, see you after work or something, you know, just like this, the simplest little thing. So I'm like, who is this guy? Right. And the character description literally said the most nondescript human being you've ever. No. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, wow, so flattered. You know what I mean? Um, But I just thought, great. There's two lines and they don't know. Right. Like they don't know exactly. Right. Exactly. So I did my little routine, said a little prayer, went in and we did the two lines. Maybe they gave some adjustment. And we did the two lines again. And then Alan in this Alan in this very whimsome kind of way just started asking where did I grow up and everything. I grew up in a small town outside of Dallas. And so we started talking about that. And he went, Okay, nice to meet you. And I left there thinking that the victory of the day was I got to meet the guy that I watched win an Oscar um, yeah. from my dormitories, you know, uh, uh, like lobby television in 2000. So I told everybody, I don't think I got it. But the next day, my manager called and said, so you got that 
HBO show. And I said, oh my God, you know, oh I got two God. lines on HBO. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> but like, I was, uh, you, you, you both know, I was yeah. floating off yeah, the ground. Of I course. two lines on HBO. Yeah. I was like, yeah. damn, this is, this is a little rung in the ladder. Right? Yeah. This is going up. And uh, he said, there's more. Alan Ball wants to make you a season regular. Oh my God. Like, oh, whoa. And he said, but then HBO said they want you to test if you have to do that. So oh it's my like, God. You have it, now you don't have it. Oh. And he said, oh. but Alan Ball told them, you won't be testing. Oh, and I went, God. wow. Right? Like, I, I. Holy hell. And I said, so what do we do now? And he said, that's it. Report for work. And I went, okay. <gasps> kind of felt like uh, that's robbing the bank a little bit, but. It was, it was that that's the story. That's how I got it. And, he's, and he said, Alan said, bear with me for this first season because we didn't blueprint that. Right, right. Be, okay. So we're going to need some time to find find some stuff to give you to do. And I'm yeah. like, I don't care. <laughs> like, you know, I'll, <laughs> right. I'll, I'll pop in for two um, lines, two lines every two weeks for the rest of my life if you want me to. Right. Like I would right. have done anything. And um, it's sure enough, first season, there was some kind of just, Fun moments. I thought this is a fun, wa- fun, fun way, fun time. Yeah. To make some choices about how maybe socially stunted or how sheltered this person is, and see if you can find find a way of doing that that's fun. Well, I was going to yeah. ask. In a weird way, that opens you up to help conceptualize this character a little bit because if they don't already yeah. know then it is half built by you and the choices you make with two lines and the essence you bring yeah. to it so Hoyt really can be yours in a lot of ways yeah it's more so than Suki I, I tell and you Eric, what you know? I've, I've felt a sense of that yeah more than I ever had before and it might have been what I needed to feel comfortable like huh. like right. you know the architecture of those parts and in those wonderful writers that you know, they were really, really strong, strong writers. Yeah. Right? Like, I think they had their skeleton there and they had some ingredients there. And then I had some ideas that maybe they hadn't thought of. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't believe I was allowed to try it. So yeah. I remember right. shooting the pilot, like to just kind of stick to this point that Deborah's making, like, shooting the pilot and being so nervous around <laughs> Anna Paquin. Right. So nervous that I went over to, that I kind of had this idea, like, well, what if, what if I just behaved the hell out of how nervous I am to be doing it. Uh-huh. Right. Like, tried to have some fun with it. And so I went over and said, said that to Alan and he kind of went, mm, show me. And I went, okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. And did some little like kind of thing to just, just some outward expression of this is scary for me. I've yeah. had a crush on you since we were kids or so, you know, and yeah. like, just some, something like that. And he just, you know, had his warm laugh and he went, yeah, keep going. And I was yeah. like, great. Then I don't know anything else, but that's the line. The line is yeah. the kind of adult that would be, you know, that would get sweaty palms over meeting his best friend's sister. And, yeah. You know, right. in, in a small town where they see each other all the time. Yeah. So that's that's starting to get clearer, right? And um, it was it was the encouragement to co-create, man, was was so startling to me because these people were so top flight. Yeah. It was quite a, quite a culture, and on yeah. this set. It came from the top down. And I kept being curious, is this the Alan Ball top? (laughs) Is this the HBO top? But it just kept going with this culture. And, you know, Deb and I were talking about getting ready for this interview, how wonderful the juxtaposition of Hoyt was. Yeah. To Jason, to 
Well, Dale, his mother, his mother the actress yeah. who played mm-hmm. your mom, Dale. And then also then Jessica. Mm-hmm. I mean, that first scene where they meet, it's like his goodness is disarming the situation mm-hmm. continually. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like nobody knew from the beginning that we needed this. There was some inkling, but the show needed a really good guy. Mm-hmm. It needed a Hoyt Fortenberry. Absolutely. It needed a Hoyt But I also think it needed a complex Hoyt which wasn't necessarily yeah. on the page. For sure. And I think that's what made you probably interesting to Alan and interesting to the writers and yeah. why the part grew so much is because, you know, Ryle says this really interesting thing. She mentioned that she was really drawn to Hoyt and to you because you described Hoyt as feeling ruined because he waited mm-hmm. so long to become a man. Yeah. And when she, I was like, wow, like that is such a spectacular way to think about that character and to bring it to life and to take someone who was, as you said, literally described as the most nondescript person. What an incredible description of that. It's a nice, it's a nice blank slate. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's but a person who feels he's yeah. nondescript. And I think probably that's what they were getting at. Yeah. Right? Is, is that like, it's their show. They don't want someone without description, of but they want, they wanted, they wanted someone who didn't know who they were. Yet, yeah. Right? And right. It, w- once they made the decision to go from being pure instead of merely sheltered, right? Mm-hmm. Which is two mm. wildly different things. Wildly. Um, what the show needs is a true believer that believes in the goodness of all beings, the goodness of the origin of all. You, you know, there needs to be someone in this sultry, bloody, shadowy world that's yeah. just like, no, no. And like this beacon. So how does yeah. someone like that come from Maxine Fortenberry? Like, what was your feeling about that relationship? <laughs> and 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 because you talk about your father at the end of this season. I mean, there is yeah. a buttload of backstory yeah. that we learn about Hoyt and Maxine in this yeah. second season. I heard I heard Deb, you saying you had your kind of version of like a backstory journal yeah. or something, you know, right? Where you, where you make up your stuff. On, yeah. And um, what I made up that first season and shared with Noble was so mirrored by the explanations that they gave, like what really happened with dad. Like I made up that I was told one thing, but suspected another thing. Right. And I end up all all this kind of stuff. And then they, they, yeah, dad didn't really die. He just bounced. He just left. Right. And, (laughs) and so that goodness to answer your question, I'm just going to believe it. That yeah. mom is the center of the universe, yeah. that she's right, mm-hmm. that she's good, that she knows best. Mm-hmm. And just for fun, I'll say episode one of the series is where that ball of yarn is starting to unravel just a bit. Mm-hmm. Just a little like in private moments of like, God damn, why'd she have to say that? Or You, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I think that goodness in the beginning was just she had raised a, like a little church mouse little buddy. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And it had worked. Mm-hmm. I had deferred. I had deferred, you know, r- rather than going off and finding out things on my own, I stayed very close. And I think, you know, rather than she did that to me, it was, it was, I, it was more stimulating for me to kind of say, look what I did to myself. I blew it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, those are kind of the broad strokes, I guess. It is interesting. Uh, I yeah. love the way that you, you put that, like you had sheltered, stunted, and then you were like, well, let's find a way to have some fun. So it's that, yeah. you know, instead of 
trying to be interesting, which, you know, happens to us sometimes as actors, you were being interested. Yeah. Yeah. Not only are you, are you now, you're Maxine Fartenberry's kid, but you're Jason Stackhouse's best friend. What the fuck is it like being Jason Stackhouse's friend all through your life, right? Like he's school stud. He's, you know, head of the captain of the football team, you know? So yeah. How does that play into your process and you know thinking about who Hoyt is I think if I if I remember back that the, the main thing that I thought at the time was like in like back to season one level is you know my little friend Jason from elementary school, yes right he's smaller than is, you yeah <laughs> his road has been divergent right yes but he's a really good guy and he just needs he just needs a good guy around. you had sleepovers hey, when man, you were 11 right. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 that kind of thing and then like you know when he rolls a, you know, theoretically, if he rolls a truck drunk driving or, you know, gets two sisters pregnant at the same time mm-hmm. or something, he needs somebody to be in there going, hey, man, you're still a good guy. Oh, you're, God. You're, you're still good. Right. You know, like oh, that God. was sort of my take is that right. he would just come around if people weren't always on his case all the time. So the other thing was to just secretly hero worship. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which Ryan, Ryan Quanton was an easy enough guy for me to secretly hero sure. there was no there was no stretching or, or finding that within myself he walked onto that set like he invented fucking acting uh, i know was there an that easy dude? chemistry with him did it yeah. did it come right yeah. off the the cart yeah yeah but i couldn't believe how easy he was with acting itself yeah. like yeah. in that pilot he was so languid and loose yeah. and playful and free and yeah and maybe we'll get to this part there, but you know, some of you, you and I feeling at times a little freaked out just about acting, <laughs> the challenge of it. Like here was a guy and I'd never seen him in anything else. I'd never, you know, so much of his stuff had been overseas before yeah. then. He walked onto the set, like, like he invented yeah. the Southern quarterback, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the teenage Lothario, yeah. like this, this guy, this guy, Ryan, I mean, brought so much imagination mm-hmm. and fun to that yeah. part mm-hmm. that it, it, that it made me self-conscious about how much I was just worrying about yeah. doing a bad job. Mm-hmm. And, it, and at some point it's like, stop the worrying and just keep up and run. Just play. <laughs> and, and he'll, he'll take you to fun places and it'll be a good time. And, um, but I, I remember honestly being intimidated by how loose mm-hmm. and comfortable he was trying new things, doing yeah. new things. That he wasn't ever, is. he wasn't ever saying to himself, how do I do this the right way? Right. And, and right. I was like, who is this guy? He was very, <laughs> he was a very, very easy guy to admire. Who has that he confidence? Really, he really yeah. was. And you guys worked with him a ton and I worked with him, I don't know, maybe twice or something like that. But I was fascinated by yeah. Ryan because he's so the opposite of Jason. Yep. Right. Yeah. I'm gonna say this is not the Ryan Quantin interview. This is the Jim Perrick interview. Oh, that's true. That's in true. which true. I'm gonna I'm gonna start to get mushy here and say get mush, yeah. I because you were really the strongest first actor and character relationship I had on the show. And I was very, very green, <laughs> especially film and TV, and very, very nervous. And I thank my lucky stars every single day that you were the person that they teamed me up with because mm. I don't think there's anybody else on that set that would have 
supported me, would have played with me that way, you know, and you were down to rehearse and like work on things and talk about it. And, you know, I'm the kind of actor who's better with more rehearsal and more investigation. I know there's a lot of people possibly like Ryan and Kristen who are better when they're looser and they're freer. For me, that's like painting without a frame. I'm like, where do you even start? You know, I need I need to have thought about it deeply and difficultly for hours and hours and hours on end. And the fact that you were willing to jump in that pool with me and do that and be so generous with not only your time, but your talent. Fuck. Like I think about those early scenes, those early, you know, times just getting to know each other and how quickly I felt connected with you and safe with you. So this is my Jim Carrick rules uh, conversation because it's not about Ryan today. Um, Wow, man. It was amazing. It really was amazing. And I think what ended up happening with that relationship and the way that fans responded to that, I think had a lot to do with that. I think had a lot to do with the fact that you were, you, you have a lot of Hoyt in you (laughs) and I'm sure the other way around as well. Wow. Well, I mean, first off, thank you for saying that because my, my own experience has mirrored that so intensely. Mm. I know, I know we've all this, this enough years behind us now that we've all had the opportunity to talk about it, but we haven't really gotten to talk about it to each other. Before. Yeah, I think that's right. We're always asked by interviewers. Yeah. So we share it with strangers, but to like so much about this yeah. podcast has been amazing to be able to sit down and be like, Hey, you meant mean so much to me and my life. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I remember if I can just indulge a little story. I have a little goosebumps from what you just said because it meant a lot to me. Good. Because my memory of that time was going, I know I have something because sometimes in class, something comes out. Right. Right. Acting wise. Right. Right. But there was such just a ravine divorced from what I could do over here and then what I could do the second a crew or a camera or something was around. Oh, and it right. was really. starting to eat at me because after a season, now we were moving into season two and I'd heard we were going to get a story and I'd heard a rumor, maybe you and the baby vampire. Right, right. And I was like, set you up in 12 of season one. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And I I remember going like, that'd be a funny little episode because that's how, (laughs) that's how it was put to me was Uh, you guys. And in my own mind, I was like, and obviously that won't work because, Right. right. And I remember feeling so comfortable talking to you about the things you're describing, like process and wanting wanting to be careful with the work we put in mm-hmm. and, and wanting to be good representatives of the writing we were so glad to be getting. Yeah. And I remember um, like there were a couple Saturdays where they even opened up the sound stages and yeah. we rehearsed like it was a play. On the set. Wow. Playing with the props. Oh yeah. My yeah. yeah. Everything, everything. With the doors. Yeah. Yeah. All of it. And, and then we would say, maybe we could show them on Monday. Maybe. Yeah. And in a good amount of time, they'd be like, great. And sometimes yeah. they go, oh, we need the light over here. So we got to move yeah. this way or that way. But I was going, okay, this feels like the process where I'm getting some good results. That class oh. process where you have time together. You have time with the material, yeah. you have time with your partner. And it was exactly what I needed. I, I want to say this, and Kristen, you should hear this. <laughs> Deborah, Deborah, at once and once and for all, resolved this weird reaction that I had to cameras. Oh my God. I, I, had, I had been doing some play 
And she came and saw it and then we were rehearsing and I was telling her about how the camera to me looked like like a robotic pterodactyl, <laughs> like this horrible. Yes. I remember and, that. And that was really yeah. the term. I was like, what is it? It's like leering at me. And right. it was like on stage, I was okay with the experiences I had, but I started to get really insecure when the camera came around and uh-huh. started to try to manage the experiences and all this stuff. Right. And I said, God damn, I just wish we could just... Wish it was just like it was here when we we're just rehearsing and there, you know. Right. And she said, Did you feel that way at the play? The play she came and seen the other night. I said, No. She said, About the audience. I said, No. So were you glad that they were there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, all eight of them. Was, I, was, I was so happy that they were there. She said, They didn't make you feel that way. And I said, No, no. In fact, they're requisite for what we're here to do yeah. right and yeah. that's not the language we use but something to me <laughs> yeah and she hey, said, i love 26 well, year old jim going it's their yeah right right yeah right not likely not likely <laughs> and she goes well why don't what if you were to just try looking at the camera like it were the audience meaning hey there's someone here to watch you today right, right? there's someone here to see what you've done right what you've been up to someone here to see what happens when it all comes out yeah. right Aren't you, you just said you were glad about that. And I'm telling you, it was whatever mental anguish had sort of <laughs> ensnared my ability to just accept the camera. Right. Immediately went away. Oh my God. And I make a living in film and television. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And right. I'm telling you, I, I don't know if I would have gotten over that hump. Certainly not that quickly. Wow. If it hadn't been, oh, and I remember Jim. Deborah, I think you said at the time you would put tape up in your room. So I, what, one thing I did early on in my, yeah. when I started to move into film and TV is cause I went, okay, acting is about being witnessed, right? And yeah. it's about not changing yourself because you know, you're being witnessed. And that's one of the hardest yeah. things to do is to just be aware that someone is watching you, but not try to adjust yourself in any way towards that. So I got index cards and I drew black lens circles on them and I put them up in every room of my apartment. And every once in a while I would move them. And the idea was just to live, be aware that there's a black dot on the wall. Right. And that it's potentially seeing you, but just practice not letting it change me. Right. And that's what then I was able to bring to film and TV work was this idea that it's just there. It's there and it's watching, but I'm less concerned with it than I am with Hoyt and Jim and what we're doing. And I think that's what the rehearsal and the connection with you gave me is that I, at the end of the day, I didn't really care what we caught on camera. I'm going to get a little. um, It's okay. Yeah, I hear you. I didn't care what we caught on camera. I cared what you and I found, right? Like, and I went, you know, even that was an amazing take. And I felt so connected and something happened that was mind blowing in some way. And if they don't use that take, fuck them. You know, like I don't give a shit because Jim and I got to have that moment. And that, Uh that it was during that season and those sort of realizations where I went, I'm not going to watch myself ever again anymore because it puts my focus on what they choose or what they use or how it comes across. And I'm like, even if it seemed shitty to the people watching, I don't care as long as it didn't seem shitty to Jim and to Hoyt, you know, like that's, that was the only, you were the only person I was playing to. And that was a really remarkable experience that I've taken through the rest of my career. Wow. But it's I rarely, do, it's rarely yeah. been as easy for me, Deb, yeah. as it was with, with you. Yeah. And I've, I've gotten to work with some wonderful, I wonderful feel the same people, way. but I learned how to act, you know, at least moving towards my potential. Yeah. 
by you and I spending time practicing Me our too. scenes together. Me too. I, I really, I, you know, like there's things I can do now, and I'm not saying like that'll blow you away, but where <laughs> I'm not, where I'm not seized with fear, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. Where yeah, I can, yeah. I can just go and do a thing and be simple and human yeah, about it. And right. our time together, among many other things, taught me that. But it was, it was. You know, as much as I was looking at the stories that we were getting from the writers going, we got to do this. I told everybody who would listen and to this day still do. If I hadn't gotten you as a partner, I don't think not only do I think obviously those stories wouldn't come to life the way <laughs> they did. Plating. Season two of that show, I had a professional blossoming. Let's say, <laughs> right. Where like all the stored up potential kind of went like boom. And there were some moments that even I could live with. Yeah. Like, yeah. Exactly. Right, right. I don't hate myself right there. And it was like, but that was such a victory, man. It was, yes, it was so I huge. And yeah, you know, of all the, of all the wonderful acting partners over the years, I think, I think it's, it's just been the blessing yeah. of all time to, to have gotten to get our, both of our first stories yeah. in, in that medium together when we were both just so willing to go work at it. You know? Well, and it's it was, amazing. Cause now that I'm watching it for the first time ever, and it's, horrible and also really fun and all of the things and i'll I'll put this on you you can tell me if i'm wrong but Uh potentially for both of us a coming of age as actors as finding who we are how we do this job especially in front of in in front of a camera because i was also very much entirely stage trained stage working before i got this job and the story is also this coming of age these kids becoming a man and a woman and finding all that stuff, you know, that parallel, I don't know that I was, because when you're young, you don't think you're young, I suppose. No, Um, you don't think you need to grow up the way the gal in the story does, right? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, And I didn't have impulse issues because I'm, I'm Mm. too scared to have impulse issues. And Jessica luckily Uh was not too scared to have impulse issues. So that was fun to play. But, um, but it is watching it back now and going like, Oh my God, so many of these moments, feel like how I felt Yes, <laughs> shooting them. So I'll put that on you. Cause it sounds like maybe you also had a similar feeling. About it was them. that, that was a far more succinct way to put it than I did. <laughs> That's that was a coming of age. Yeah. Right. And it's cool to, now I can say it. I don't have to yeah. speculate. I always wondered on your end. No, two actors, oh two God. actors coming of age yeah. in front of the camera. Yeah. And you know what the camera didn't see was, was the friendship that we developed and the camera didn't see is that we were both pretty terrified, (laughs) but we also, but we also believed in a path that could like get to work there. Right. Like, like this is scary, but man, if we, if we take this path, if we, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. (laughs) That's cool. Cause that's what you see, right? Like you see all of that. Do people scared, but (laughs) like reaching (laughs) for a path and this, burgeoning friendship, you know, this, yeah. this camaraderie, this like, um, those are even aren't the right words, but some sort of yeah. puzzle piece is happening. Yes. Yeah, that's I mean, in there. I remember action to cut on those stages being the safest. I felt in between everything, all of that. You're like, Oh, do they like it? Am I, oh, did I do it? Do I look okay? Does all that stuff gets into your head? Yes. But as soon yes. as they called action and I looked at you, I was like, okay. Yeah. I know Same. you, you know me, like now we can do the thing yeah. that we like to do and that we think we're sort of good at and hopefully it will yes, be there. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I think I've, I've shared this bits and things here too, that it's like, 
there's something wonderful when the relationship off camera is so strong as well yeah. that it gives you so much freedom and permission from action to cut right. that that was like the space to express everything and anything that I was too scared to do outside of that. And I knew that mm. I had the safety net of you. Um, oh man. I remember, yeah, we got to spend some time together and I remember just going like, this is, uh, this is a fast friend that I would have never otherwise met. Yeah. Where, you know, and, and now you've, you, once you get to have this experience a few times in the business where you go, I would have never had that time to connect yeah. with somebody and make a friend had it not been for this job. And, um, Everything about it was so enchanted at that time. It really was. It was was so enchanted. It felt like high school, you know, like that that perfect first love, Mm -hmm. which, you know, which is acting, but also each other, but also the experience, you know, and it's something like, it's so lovely. I look back on it. I'm like, I'm so glad that it's in this little case, you know, where now I can go back and see it. Yeah. It's um, captured. It's just a shadow box of my, you know, uh, it's just a really nice thing, but let's, so let's talk about Hoyt and Jessica a little bit aside from the Jim and Dev of it all, which is just the, the kind of, as you just said, like you and I probably would have never met and had this friendship and relationship. Des and Hoyt feel like they're worlds away. And somehow that fateful night in Merlot's, (laughs) With the music going. With the music going. <laughs> that scene is so and I, special. And I, I was out for blood and got a little something else. I, I, I just remember everything slowing down. Yeah. Deborah's such a giving actor, man. And there's so much, there's such distinct moments when something inner shifts with her. Yeah. And just being with all of that and then seeing it cut together and going, it really looks like we have each other on the end of a string. Yeah. Right? It really looks like yeah. one person moving another just this way. Yeah. Oh, that's a little scary. Where's, you know, yes. it's, it's, it was a scene of such openness of spirit and adjustment to one another yeah. that I was like, oh, that's the principle that I've been studying about acting, yeah. period. Yeah. Openness of spirit and adjustability, right? <laughs> like that, I've, I've been taking the long road to understand it. But in that scene, I went, if you're if you're open and alive to something and connected to your partner, some good things are going to happen. Yeah, something big and mystical and magical happened where yeah. lightning struck on that show, and you were there from the beginning to the end, mm-hmm. and you saw it, and I saw it, and it was it was really fun. Just just having both of your faces here and like going all these memories, it's like man, it was a really extraordinary yeah. experience yeah. but since it was my first i kind of <laughs> I like know. like what you said about being <laughs> spoiled ruined. and brokenhearted by the I'm totally ruined. ruined dude okay so when you think of your experience your experience yeah. on true blood are there three words that come to mind if i can use a hyphen we can whittle it down to three great <laughs> uh the first would be life-changing yeah oh. blessed Forging. Interesting. Because it it did, man. It really like like Deborah was saying, we were such little balls of clay. Yeah. And we had we had our talent and our enthusiasm, but that's what we had in hand. Right. And something was gonna shape those things. Right. Something was gonna turn it into something that could either move forward or or not. Right. right. And that that show because as far out as it was, the the human things that you were required to act were stiff, man. They yeah. were yeah. they were challenging. Yeah. 
They were. And, and they were all the time. Yeah. All the time. Here's and your es- new dilemma. Here's your new dilemma. And especially right, let's go. in it the was, tonal yeah. world of vampires and sex and craziness. Like, I we needed the grounding. You yes. know, we needed yes. the grounding, and yeah. but it was that much harder to find because at the same time as you were fighting for your life, you were saying, "But I drink blood for a living." You know, like <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah, I do. Yeah. You know, right. and you're quick, like, fly wow. out that window and get the key. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it was. You know, it was it was harder as well as more necessary, and I feel like that it was just a constant challenge. And I don't know that we always met it, but I know we always were striven, <laughs> strove, yes, we always yes. strived to do I so. I think we met it enough. Enough. It was good For enough. Sure. Yeah. Well, Jim, this has been the most special time to chat about this. I hope you will come back and talk about more. Anytime. But you genuinely moved me, Jim. So I'm so very happy to talk I, to I you. I love you both so much. I love you so much. Well, that was extraordinary. I was going to say, Deb, how do you feel, Deb? I feel like I got to interview you now. Because, like, <laughs> that was really our first. Yeah. Yeah, like, that was different. Yeah. I, I mean, I have such strong, fond feelings for him. Yeah. And, and yeah, you know, what he what he did for me those first few seasons as we were finding our way yeah. uh, through this crazy show called True Blood. And I think just to reconnect on that and and chat, because, you know, he's been all over the country and we've lost touch. And yeah. so to be able to to go back there and, and remember really how special it was and how yeah. special that working relationship was, how special our friendship was and how special that story was really on all levels. So I, you know, yeah. I I can't help but get a little blushy and excited when I, uh, I think about and I Jim and Hoyt. Yeah, I couldn't help but be extra weepy. I don't know if that's possible. <laughs> but that what I'm seeing on screen to hear the world that was behind that that yeah. is on screen. Like, it's so that great. It's, that it's real. It's you know? real. Even, even though it's fiction, mm-hmm. it's real. And and I, I hope that that's something we start to get across with this podcast, is that it can be both. It can be both. And it'll live in the forever world. Jessica and Hoyt. <laughs> and Jim and Deb. It's beautiful. Next week on Truest Blood, things are gearing up for the finale. There is royalty, Yahtzee, ornithology, and most importantly, the return of Pam. (laughs) And we have the immense pleasure of talking with Rutina Wesley about her complex and compelling turn as Tara Thornton. We've been gushing about her from the start, and her insights off camera are just as fascinating Of course, she's gone on to star in Queen Sugar for another seven seasons of stellar work. And I am sure she is nowhere near slowing down. So tune in next week. Thanks for listening, Trubies. Subscribe and follow wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll see you next week. Y'all come back now, you hear. Got any burning questions you want answered on Truest Blood? Post them on any and all social media platforms using hashtag FangClubQuestions, and we may feature them on the show. That's hashtag F-A-N-G-C-L-U-B-Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-S. 
Truest Blood is produced by Safe Haven for HBO Max. Executive producers are Janina Gavonkar, Kristen Bauer, and Deborah Ann Wool. Our producer is Gabrielle Galan, and our audio producer is Christopher Wool. Our theme song was recorded just for this podcast by Jace Everett. Additional music was composed by Timo Chen. And remember, you can watch all of the original episodes of True Blood on HBO Max. Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max.